Um, when I was 28, I had been chasing money, titles, fame, fortune, if you want to, for lack of better words, in the traditional investment arena. Mm -hmm. And I really loved what I did. Um, I never really imagined leaving that career. I was a partner at 27 and really thought that this was my calling in life. Um, but what no one really knew is that I was severely depressed. Mm -hmm. My outlet was work. So when I was at work, there was an outlet that I could kind of be excited about. But it got to a point where I was like, this is never going to be enough. Sound familiar? Folks, you are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message comes from the co-founder and CEO of Align Impact, Jen Kenning, who comes on the show today to explain that impact investing can make a significant difference in both your personal and financial health. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Jen Kenning. Enjoy. So I think our viewers at home are wondering, how does an investment firm make impact? Great question. Um, well, every investment has impact, uh, whether you know it or not. So you are your investments either have a positive impact on society, they're contributing to solutions, um, or they're doing no harm. Maybe you're taking a low carbon approach, or your investments have a negative impact. They're actually impacting human beings, animals, the planet, negatively so you can seek a return and today we have so many different options and availabilities in the marketplace to where you can actually get market rate returns and to have the impact you want to have socially environmentally or both so how do i align like my values with my investments what would you do for me so you first want to start with your traditional process of how you build a traditional portfolio What's the right asset allocation for your goals and objectives? Uh, what do you mean for your lifestyle? Uh, funding your kids' education, uh, saving for retirement, and then as you have excess, you know, looking to what what value or what legacy do you want to have back in society? Once you figure out the right asset allocation and the right level of risk, um, you're young, so you might be able to take additional risk and have a more growth-oriented portfolio because you have 20, 30, 40 years, even longer in some cases, to allow that portfolio to mature. So the next layer, once you've established kind of your foundation, I call it the architectural foundation, you then want to look to say, what do I actually care about? Both from a negative and a positive. So let's use gun control as an example. Um, let's look at gun control from three different levels. Usually people are not wanting to appeal the Second Amendment. They're actually just wanting to have proper systems in place that allow, that make sure that military style weapons don't get in the hands of people that they shouldn't be in the hands of. And that actually comes down to a different screen than having the policy debate around the Second Amendment. And you can actually look at your portfolio and stop funding retail companies that are selling uh, guns to people that shouldn't be getting them. Um, so that's one area where you're more taking a divestment approach. If you wanna take a more positive approach, I often say, What's one thing you would move the needle on and why? Like if you could do just one thing, because we have a finite amount of resources and a finite amount of time, mm -hmm. figure that one thing out and then let's build a portfolio around 
that because usually you can do that across ethnic classes. So say mine's like um, sustainable agriculture. Mm -hmm. What would you do for me? And how do you find these companies? So first we need to talk about, are you talking about sustainable agriculture in the United States or are you talking about it in the developing world? Say the United States. Okay. So we're now focused more on one specific region rather than the whole globe is our kind of uh, universe. Then we have to talk about, okay, where does, what part of the portfolio are we looking to build out? So let's say you have a private allocation, which means you're going to invest in alternatives. They're usually private in nature. They could be sustainable agriculture notes. Mm-hmm. That could be one, three, five, ten-year notes. They could earn you anywhere from 1% to 4%, depending on the time lockup you're willing to take. You're loaning capital to these farmers or to systems that allow for the system to work rather than you're just loaning uh, dollars to any type of fixed income investment. So you're being really purposeful. Maybe you actually have the tolerance and you happen to know somebody who runs a vertical farming system in Minnesota. There happens to be a company here that's doing that. (laughs) And they are producing romaine lettuce in a completely vertical warehouse situation. So they actually weren't exposed to the recall of romaine lettuce. You could invest in that company directly in their friends and family round, their seed round, their series A round. You might actually get exposure to that company through somebody like a big path right? Where you actually see the opportunity and then you would come to a line and you would say, I'd like you to due diligence this and compare it to other investments in a similar uh, direct capacity, a similar industry, and to see if this makes sense for what I'm trying to do inside my portfolio. And I think you hit on a really important point about the lettuce being recalled mm-hmm. and this ethical, sustainable farming didn't have that recall. How are you seeing these impact companies uh, in the long-term growth? And why might I uh, invest in a company that creates impact and has ethical guidelines versus a company that uh, might cut a couple of of corners? Yeah, or a company, and said it another way, a company that's just worried about the bottom line. Right. Right, they're driving for shareholder return. Mm -hmm. Um, We believe that in the long run, investors will be rewarded for investing in companies that we are moving towards from a new economy perspective, right? We are shifting how we purchase goods and services as consumers. Mm -hmm. Consumers actually control the bottom line. We control revenue. Millennials and women are moving in this direction, super conscious about what companies are supporting, what products are putting in their body. This is not just a movement. This is actually how we're going to live. And if you think about it, we are at a moment in time where we can't afford as a society Mm -hmm. to only focus on the bottom line. We have to be able to look at our supply chains. What are the practices in those supply chains? Our labor practices. At what expense did somebody, what human was at an expense rather than an asset to be able to drive that bottom line result? And today, more and more companies are saying, I care as much about the bottom line as I do about people, both the people in my organization and the people in supply chains, as well as I care about the environment. And if really, if you look at your values and you align your company with your values, no pun intended, um, you can start to build a service model or a product that actually takes all those stakeholders into account 
rather than just one stakeholder. How do your employees align their own core values with Align Impact? Yeah, it's a great question. So we spend a lot of time interviewing before anyone joins our team because I want to know that they're cut from the same cloth. I want to know what they want to move the needle on. I want to, they're my biggest asset, right? Most people look at employees as an expense. They're actually your greatest asset. Um, They're my partners. They are the future of the company and the ecosystem and the industry. They have to come with this integrated into who they are. They have to live out these values, right? They have to be able to say, I want to invest my 401k this way. I want to shop this way. I'm going to look at this in sometimes in their clothing choices or their food choices. Um, But they each have something that drives them. Mm -hmm. That really is the reason why they come to work. They're very talented in the core competencies and investments and things that we have to do day to day. But I would say if you sat around the table and you interviewed each of them, I think you would say, wow, how, how do all of these people have something that they're deeply passionate about and it comes out every single day in what they do? What drives you and how did you land upon Align Impact? Uh, great question. There's a long answer and a short answer, so I'll give you the short answer. Give me the long answer. <laughs> I've got time. So, really, two defining moments. Um, when I was 28, I had been chasing money, titles, fame, fortune, if you want to, for lack of better words, in the traditional investment arena. Mm-hmm. And I really loved what I did. Um, I never really imagined leaving that career. I was a partner at 27 and really thought that this was my calling in life. Um, but what no one really knew is that I was severely depressed. Mm-hmm. My outlet was work. So when I was at work, there was an outlet that I could kind of be excited about. But it got to a point where I was like, this is never going to be enough. Um, and kind of through that journey, I started working with the homeless population in Los Angeles. And I started really understanding why homelessness exists It's really a breakdown in social circles. They have a lack of support system. The lack of support system or the lack of resources creates mental illness, which creates them to spiral down. So after studying in and really working inside of that community, I started to see that during the day I was working with people that were looking for purpose and had an abundance of resources, very wealthy families, foundations, individuals. And in the evenings, I was working with homeless people who were trying to survive, who were trying to um, not be raped, Um, would ride the bus from Long Beach to LA and back all night long Mm -hmm. just to be able to survive the streets. And I was like, why aren't we bridging abundance and scarcity? Mm -hmm. And then I really healed my own kind of what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. And then I went to Nicaragua in 2011 and I saw the same thing as I was pulling children out of garbage dumps. Like, why does this exist? Why can't we bridge our capital system with our philanthropic system to have systems work so that people actually have access and opportunity and a chance to survive? And then the really defining moment was when I went to East Africa and looked at 12 social enterprises in late 2013. And I just didn't come back the same person. I knew in that moment that I wanted to help families, foundations, individuals, and institutions and their advisors figure out their why 
and then how they were going to do it and what they were going to do, and to use capital as a force for good. We have $410 billion that we contribute to charity each year. We have over $100 trillion in the capital markets. Mm. We're never going to solve the 17 sustainable development goals or the drastic issues we face globally, socially, and environmentally without using capital, investment capital. And in order to do that, we have to transform the financial services industry, how we think about it, how we report, our expectations on returns, um, and ultimately making sure that all three stakeholders are the recipient, uh, not just the profits. And just to go off that, what's the biggest misconception of impact investing in sustainable enterprises? Uh, Another great question. Um, That you have to sacrifice return. Um, that in, in order to be an impact investor or to invest in these social enterprises um, or funds or even new and innovative products uh, or strategies, that you're going to have to give up return. Um, that in order to do that, you then have to sacrifice down the road when that's really a misnomer. Um, you can absolutely invest and get a market rate return for the same level of risk you may choose to take a concessionary return because you're actually focused more on the impact than you are on the return. And usually that concessionary return is actually just a concessionary return and for the level of risk you're taking. So when you risk adjusted, it's considered concessionary. But if you looked at it on face value, you would say, oh, that eight or 12% return looks pretty attractive. It's just you're either locking up your capital, you're entering a market that's niche, that hasn't been proven yet, you're in an early stage round of a company, you don't know if the team's going to have what it takes, Uh, maybe that investment needs more capital. There's a lot of things that you have, and unknowns that you have to factor in. So I'm new to this space. Can you elaborate on concessionary returns? Sure. So concessionary returns are usually um, a little bit of what I just said, said maybe more simply. below market okay Okay? so you're getting a below market rate return for the level of risk you're taking okay or you're maybe having some illiquidity in making that investment so you don't have access to that capital daily like you do in the public markets Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're foregoing a different investment to make this investment and you might be getting a lower rate of return for the level of risk you're taking on compared to something else you may have an opportunity to invest in. Okay, got it. And Jen, you touched on a mega trend earlier. Uh, For our viewers watching this who are also investors, um, can you tell them what you're seeing in this trend? Yeah, I mean, this is not going away. Um, If anything, your viewers, uh, everyone should be asking at a bare minimum, do I have sustainable, social, environmental, ESG opportunities to invest in my 401k Mm -hmm. or my retirement accounts with my company. Um, You have opportunities. Retail investors have enormous opportunities. There's hundreds of opportunities from an ESG, environmental, social, and governance. Uh, Those are usually factors or ways we look at investments uh, to invest. Um, You can start investing in your local communities. Um, and really being a steward of the capital and rebuilding those local communities. Um, 49% of this country is rent burdened, uh, which means they're spending more than 30% of their after-tax income on rent. Mm. 
Uh, it has a rippling effect. It's usually single moms and minorities. Um, and that affects the education that their children can get, their extracurricular activities, the access to healthcare. Um, a lot of these issues are intertwined. And so if we think about trends and how we're going to get there as a society, we have to start using all of our capital to do that, right? How we give, how we invest, and, and how we consume. And then ultimately, what kind of companies do we go to work for? Mm-hmm. Right. That can be actually factored into the decision making process. Um, and I think women and millennials do a really good job of that, um, of looking at all four pillars um, and making decisions and driving this movement forward. Oh, as I choke on my own saliva. <laughs> Uh, I've had uh, impact investors describe to me ESG, the S being the messy middle. How do you define what a good uh, socially run company is or what's impact on uh, society is and how do you measure that? Um, Great question. So S is usually something that each individual investor has to define. The environment's a little easier because S can span education to healthcare, to affordable housing, to social justice, criminal justice reform, uh, agriculture, sustainable foods, organics, vegan, right? The, The S is... Uh, the S and the E are very much intertwined. But if we just focus on the S for a second, those also go deeper into what is the effect on human beings in the supply chain, right? If we're talking about our clothes that we're wearing, if we're driving down the price, it's usually at the expense of another human being that we're driving down the price, Mm -hmm. right? So why don't we pay $29.99 for a white cotton t-shirt made in America or made in a sustainable manner that allows the person at the end of the chain Mm -hmm. or one would say the beginning of the chain to actually have a living wage Mm -hmm. and good work environment, good working environments. Um, So the S there's a, it is messy because it's harder to define, especially in the public markets. Mm -hmm. It's much easier to define in the private markets. Um, And then you asked about how do we measure? Measurement's really controversial in this space. Um, My personal philosophy is you have to measure what inspires you to take action. Measurement is only as good as the data that you're getting access to and that you're measuring something that inspires you to do something else. Right. If we're if we have all these different measurement tools and ways we can measure, if the ultimate at the end of the day, if the end investor doesn't do anything different or doesn't have their aha moment, the measurement really doesn't matter. Now, if you're going to call yourself an impact investor, an impact fund, a sustainable company, a company around mission, you have to be able to measure that and report on that. Otherwise, you're just a traditional investment. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, everyone needs to figure out what they want to measure, what's realistic to measure with the data that we have. And then let's measure not only outputs, which is what we usually do, reduction in CO2 emission, number of jobs created. Let's measure outcomes. Mm-hmm. Because of this job, because they're making a living wage, because they're working in a satisfactory factory that really cares about their complete well-being, they now have extra income to be able to send their kids to school, 
to have a house that actually is going to work for to function and add security and safety. Mm-hmm. These are rippling effects. These are outcomes that come from the output. But as an industry, we kind of focus on the output or the activities okay. rather than saying, let's take the outputs and the outcomes. Okay. That's where I want us to get to. And it, well, it's really difficult for a lot of social entrepreneurs that we interviewed to measure and quantify their impact. Absolutely. Um, so how important is it that a company that you're investing in does something like that, like a certified B corporation? Um, well, we're a B corporation as well, and we believe you should really understand your footprint and kind of your impact on society. Um, our approach is we want to look to see what they expect to measure. We're not trying to add something else to a full plate already, right? What is realistic? And my philosophy in that is it's actually setting expectations. Expectations, whether you're a donor or an investor, of what we actually can measure today and what we could measure over time. And we have to do it over time. We're not going to be able to measure outcomes in year one. Right. We may be able to measure outputs or activities, numbers, and we're going to be able to measure outcomes over three, five, ten years. What's the savings back to society, right? So um, I think a lot of it is education and then sitting together as an investor and maybe you're the sustainable company I'm looking to invest in and really making sure it's a win-win, that we're aligned. Right. Our values are aligned. What I'm expecting as an investor in you to deliver in terms of return is aligned. That when you go to sell, that you're gonna retain your mission and you're gonna keep that alignment. Right? Those are the things I'm looking for. I'm not actually trying to add something else to your plate that it actually is not possible. Mm-hmm. Got right? Usually if they're holding themselves out as a company or a fund, they're usually able to measure some kind of impact because that's their th- that's part of their thesis. In general, so we, we touched on the E and the S, mm-hmm. governance. <laughs> what, what, is, what does governance have to do with my investment? And how do you well, governance is super important because governance... Um, is do you have enough of different opinions and voices at the board level? Do you have enough diversity amongst gender? Do you have minority voices, right? There's a lot of data that shows that teams and boardrooms that are diverse make better decisions because they're coming from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Governance is also, um, you know, keeps there from being, you know, illegal activities and keeps people honest. There's different levels of governance, right? We want to have, we want to have checks and balances, Mm -hmm. right? So that there isn't so much control somewhere. Um, At the C level, we need to make sure that our, uh, that we're being paid equally regardless of gender, that we're being paid based on the job that we're doing. Um, Those are more G factors, right? How does a company look at gender and diversity? How do they look at equal pay? How do they look at time off? How do they look at maternity and paternity policies, work-life balance? Uh, What programs do they put in place? What rewards systems? All of those kind of back-end processes are part of a culture of a company and really usually fall under the G side of the equation. Um, And they're just as important because data says that diverse companies actually produce better results. And just to stay on the governance uh, line, how important is or how important does leadership play a role uh, in that decision to to measure a company on, on their governance? 
Um, I think a lot. You know, a good example in the public markets uh, is Shell. Shell is actually tying its sea levels bonuses to the actual reduction in CO2 emission and how far they move on the climate mandate um, and towards the renewable economy. I think that sends a huge statement of where the company's values are. And if I'm deciding on whether I want to invest or purchase gas from Shell versus Exxon, that's going to uh, help in my decision process. So I think a lot of times the leadership is where the values come from, mm. right? Um, we can't be a B Corp and a company that's an impact investing company if we didn't have diversity in ownership, diversity in the boardroom, diversity in management, uh, diversity amongst our staff. Um, we have to live out our own values so that people recognize that we are, we're actually doing it ourselves. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more important every single day. And I think a lot of it is driven by the millennials. They're looking for this type. Gen, we, we talk about the millennials a lot, but Gen Z is right behind them, right? They're actually gonna be tougher than the millennials, mm-hmm. right? They, they're gonna demand that companies have this at the leadership level. Right? What is the lead, who is the leader and what do they stand for? I mean, I do this work because two billion people live below the poverty line. Right. And we are at a point in time when it is absolutely imperative from a climate perspective. And we have enough resources. We have enough access. We are just not bridging that access and opportunity for all people so that the world works for 7.8 billion people. Right. right? I don't do this to get a paycheck or just to build a company. There's easier ways to do that, (laughs) truthfully. (laughs) So how do your leadership values align with Align Impact? Um, Well, one is one in in hiring. Um, Two, I think in our compensation structure, really tried to have it be a tiered process to incentivize teaming um, and to reward for all of us pulling in the same direction. Um, That the ecosystem building is as important as building the firm. Um, we're, you know, a piece of the ecosystem. Um, I meditate at least two to three times a day. I think that's also core to like how I can function as a leader um, is that you take time to do the things that you are important to you that make you the best version of yourself mm-hmm. um, and that you hire talent, you pick investors, you create a board that also is aligned with your values. Right. You don't just take anyone. Um, It's all, you know, my board is cut from the same values. Um, They have different things that they're focused on and different areas that they get passionate about. But at the end of the day, we all believe that this is how we're going to invest in the next 10 years. This won't be a debate Um, and that we're building a piece of that infrastructure. Well, Jen, I hope our viewers have values like yourself um, because we need more people like you. Thanks for coming on Real Leaders Live today. Are there any last words that you'd like to tell our audience about where they can find more information about Align Impact? Well, thanks for having me. Um, It's always an honor. Um, I would say my call to action is that every investment has impact. So look at one thing you own um, or your next purchasing decision and actually look at what you're buying or what you're investing in and just know what's underneath that. Um, And you can get more information at alignimpact.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, um, and 
Thank you for having me. Folks, Jennifer Kenning, the co-founder and CEO of Align Impact. Thanks for coming on the show today. Climate change, big issue. It's up and coming. Align your money with meaning. Uh, folks, uh, thanks for tuning in to Real Leaders Live. And now a quick video about the Real Leaders 100 winners. Hey, good people. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Jennifer Kenning. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And if you haven't yet left a review, please do so now on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think and what others can expect when they come to the show. Also, folks, we've got a couple interesting episodes coming up on Crowdcast where you can attend live and ask your questions for free. All you got to do is go online to realers.com slash podcast live events and RSVP for an upcoming episode with another real leader. All right, that's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode.